0: Part 24, 13 Days in October, Plus One Everyone knows about the Cuban Missile Crisis and how, for 13 days in October of 1962, humanity was dancing on the threshold of self-annihilation. The Kennedy brothers, John and Robert F., played nuclear chicken in a test of wills with Soviet Socialist Premier Nikita Khrushchev. Our civics classes taught us how Jack and Bobby saved the world and Nikita's hide by cutting a side deal that scrapped NATO's arsenal in Turkey and kept communist missiles out of the Western Hemisphere. There was fallout from the nuclear exchange, however, even without so much as the launch of a bottle rocket. We humans have lived in a perpetual end-of-the-world scenario ever since. One that probably contributed to baby boomers pathological protection of their children and to a society where emotional safeness has surpassed oxygen as a life requirement 29 years after the missile showdown 13 october days delivered another struggle for world supremacy and hell froze over my wife was diving at the great barrier reef and missed it all She missed the 1991 World Series, a battle of athletic wills featuring Atlanta versus Minnesota in what many considered to be the most intense in baseball history. It concluded with a 10-inning 1-0 shutout that felt even closer than the score. Jack Morris pitched all 10 frames for the Twins, and a guy couldn't help but let his heart out to Braves fans whose club had the bases loaded in the eighth inning. After a hundred centuries of residence in the Western Hemisphere living and dying in competitive harmony with nature, it took just two centuries for people to threaten nature itself and to act as if life and death is balanced by the evening's entertainment. I'm as guilty as anyone. The World Series began on Saturday the 19th with Game 1 at Metrodome, Minneapolis. Pre- and post-game festivities were conducted two blocks away at the Little Wagon restaurant. This was not only convenient to the stadium, I happened to have a monthly tab at the wagon and was close friends with Hall of Fame bartender Mike Ollie Oliver and, more importantly, with the bouncer, the late, great Mike porky Pacala, who let me cut through lines that wrapped around the block like I was Frank Sinatra at Tootshore's place in New York during the Yankee dynasty. A co-worker and former VP with the Twins granted me four of the most valuable tickets in Minnesota sports history. With my top advisor halfway around the world, me and my cadre of buddies had no deterrent to our revelry. We arrived early and stayed late. Twins wins in the first two games on Saturday and Sunday led to grueling post-game celebrations, especially with a 9 a.m. meeting on Monday. Fortunately, the work turned into more playtime as we rehashed the weekend victories as if relief pitcher Rick Aguilera had saved civilization from radioactive debris. Atlanta retaliated to take the next three games in Georgia, which led to late-night lamenting and second-guessing of our administration's strategic maneuvers. By day 7 of 91's 13, I'd slept about the same as Bobby Kennedy in 62. On day 9, Kirby Puckett almost single-handedly won Game 6 by slashing a triple in the first inning, stealing a home run in the third, then blasting a walk-off dinger in the 11th. I was so tired I would have traded places with Khrushchev. There were two naps on the Sunday of Game 7 the first at 5 a.m., the second about 2 p.m. They were separated by a gallon of water and a short walk from the bedroom to the living room where I laid on the floor with a pillow and fell asleep before I could reach up to turn on the remoteless television set. I did make it back to the restaurant for pregame and somehow mustered the energy for the postgame marathon. Age, gender, race... Political affiliation, faith, Chevy or Ford, didn't matter that night as we hugged and high-fived and danced in blocks-long conga lines while the pub stayed open far beyond legal closing times. The streets of Minneapolis were overflowing with harmonious joy of being the most supreme game players in the world. Mary Beth left town on October 18th. She phoned from Queensland, Australia, as I was laying, exhausted, in the living room with my arms and legs spread like I was going to make a snow angel or be drawn and quartered. "'Just got back from the reef!' she exclaimed. "'It was gorgeous!' She then went on to tell me of kangaroos, koalas, and the personal time she got to spend with a celebrity wombat named Patrick Thomas. It was only the second time we'd talked since she'd left." Our cellular devices at the time were as big as World War II field phones, and a minute of mobile airtime cost about the same as a nuclear warhead. Even landline calls that flew across the water to international destinations cost 10 bucks a minute, when the average wage was 10 bucks an hour. It's about $28 today. So we had a short chat. "'Well, we'll be back on Tuesday. "'I'm dreading the flight from Sydney to L.A. "'Looks like we'll be up front, though,' she said. "'The thought of 13 hours in a first-class airline seat "'while someone delivered endless food and booze "'sounded like heaven to me. "'What's going on there?' she continued. "'Did you pass out much candy last night?' "'I passed out all right, but not much candy,' I replied. "'It rained yesterday.' froze, then started snowing. I've been shoveling all day. We have more than two feet, and it's still coming. The streets are littered with buried vehicles. Plus, Mike Widener lost part of his fingers in a snowblower last night, so I went over to help him out. I paused to catch my breath, then said, oh, the twins won the World Series the other day. I was laying on my back in the living room for the second time that week. Her call came on the 14th day, November 1st. The 13 days of October 1991 concluded with a paralyzing Halloween blizzard just five days after the historic Game 7. The streets that had hosted the revelers in a ticker tape parade three days earlier lay beneath a thick blanket of snow with an inch of ice as the bedsheet. Nature would not be threatened. The previous season was history in a hurry. Another 29 years later, 58, after humanity gave itself a stay of self-execution, the nice Minnesota Harmony would turn to angry protests, then ravenous riots, gratuitous looting, the torching of a police precinct, and damage to 1,700 businesses after a bad cop callously killed a man he was supposed to detain. The four days of mayhem felt more like 13, as the mayor babbled senselessly, the governor acted tough, his National Guard sat in the on-deck circle, and we all watched the once-supreme city burn. Thirteen days in any October, the years 1962, 1991, In 2020, they're all tiny specks on a timeline. The Game 7s, the gratuitous looting, even the threats of global obliteration become microscopic footnotes to the games people play. The Braves of Atlanta borrowed their name from indigenous peoples who roamed the would-be streets of Minneapolis for more than 10,000 years with a conscious reality they had no fear of nuclear proliferation no need for salted streets the early tribes of the streets were preceded by 150,000 bedsheets of ice in an age of nature far more powerful than our contrived ages of industry and technology the ice gave way to animals and hunters handcrafted arrows became intercontinental ballistic missiles the weapons and toys the people and places are temporary intrusions on nature's landscape in a, in a universe that shall not be played. The games are fun while they last. The seasons keep changing forever.